and welcome to the Trapital Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Runcie. Our guest today is Akeen Alou, who is a recently minted agent at CAA, the talent sports agency based in LA. And last time that him and I talked, it was around the time of the BET Awards. And we're actually talking about this right before we started recording. A number of your artists that you represent were either nominated for awards or had other stuff going on. As a person that represents them, what does your week look like? Um, so it's it's interesting. I think for an event like that, you know, you get a large um, portion of you know the hip hop and R and B community out to L A. Um, it's a tentpole event, so people are flying in from all over the country, um, whether it be New York or Atlanta, uh, and it's a really good chance to connect with lawyers or managers or A and Rs or or talent. You know, people who don't get a chance to spend a lot of time out here. Um, so it's exciting. We host an event. Um, this was our second year, actually. Uh, we did a skate party, which was you know awesome. We had a lot of our clients show up. Uh, you know, outside of that, there's a bunch of label showcases going on. Um, there's a bunch of after parties. It, it's it's a really it's a really good time to get some face time, but it's exhausting for sure. With an event like that, you surely have all the people in the music industry that come through. But I would imagine that with all of the crossovers and partnerships across industries, you probably have a good amount outside of the music industry as well. Uh, a few. Yeah. Like, um, you know, we had Rotimi show up. He's somebody we work with on the music side. Uh, but obviously he's an actor too, right? You know, being on power um, has given him a, a really uh, great profile. So definitely. I think at the end of the day, um, you know, our goal as an agency is to represent all sorts of talent and BET weekend. Uh, even though it's about the music, I think everybody from our athletes to the actors and actresses want a chance to feel like they're a part of all of the other festivities going on. That lines up a lot with CAA's shift as well. Even in the time that you've been there, there's been more of a focus on sports, more of a focus across different industries. How has that evolution shifted your job specifically? That's a great question. I think if you look at the overall agency landscape, I think sports has become a focus for everybody. I think if you talk about entertainment, it's one of the few sort of like uh, verticals in, in, in entertainment that continues to experience growth, right? You know, I think with music, there was a point in time where everybody was worried because of uh, declining CD sales. Then there, there, you know, you had TV and film. Um, I guess film was impacted by the growth of, of television and, and, and cord cutting. And I think that you know, with sports, people sort of have seen those revenues or those profits sort of remain steady. So um, I think everybody's trying to jump in the fray and join the action a little bit. I mean, you saw UTA uh, just partnered up with, with Rich Paul and, and Clutch. So, you know, that's just another example of how people are trying to figure out how to, to work within that vertical. Um, as far as my job goes, um, there are a number of, our, there are a number of our clients um, on the sports side who are interested in in music right like i think it was i think it was jay or drake who has that line about uh rappers wanting to be athletes and and athletes wanting to be rappers i don't remember which who it was yeah that was drake yeah what do you say like they we want to be them and they want to be us we want to be them they want to be us uh it was yeah. on one of the thank me later songs i forget which one 
Yeah. So like, you know, to his point, we've got a lot of athletes that, you know, want to produce. Uh, we have athletes that want to rap, right? We have athletes that want label deals. Um, so I think, you know, there are a lot of examples that I could shout out, but I won't talk in specifics. And, you know, my job as, as an agent, I think, you know, even though I'm doing a lot of booking, what I do have is relationships in the industry, whether they be with, uh, label A&Rs or lawyers or managers, right? So uh, I'm able to sort of facilitate in that way and connect our talent with uh, the executives who can sort of bring their own uh, ideas into fruition, right? So um, if ex-athlete wants a label deal, I can talk to them about Caroline. I can put them in touch with somebody in Interscope or, or APG or Atlantic or what have you. So that's sort of how my job comes into play. And I think as far as musicians go, um, I think a lot of them just like to be close. I think a lot of them admire what a lot of these athletes do on, on, on the court or on the field. Um, they admire the dedication that they put into their work. Um, and sometimes, it, uh, you know, interesting collaborations come out of it. So um, for us, it's just about being able to connect the dots. I look at someone like Damian Lillard, who is the ideal package. He can actually rap. Yeah. I think he just put out his third album. And this is someone that was in the Western Conference Finals this past yeah. year. And I guess it makes me think about what the early 2000s were for NBA guys who were trying to rap. A lot of those albums weren't that good. I guess look, when you're working with these folks, do you have the discretion to be like, you know what, so-and-so, you're an all-star in your sport, but I don't know if the rapping thing is working. I don't know if I necessarily want to represent you. It, it, that's interesting. Like that's, that's not really – I feel like that's not totally my job, right? I think, you know, I think at the end of the day – I don't like to be the one that says no. I think if I can connect the dots and give someone else the power to greenlight it, then I will. But I think I think in in this in this uh, role, I'm more of the facilitator. So um, if such and such wants, if 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 Dame Lillard or Lonzo Ball, right, like wants a, a deal, uh, I'm I'm going to put them in the best position to make it happen. Yeah, that makes sense. I've heard CAA break things down in two ways. One way is what you just said, which is how can we ensure that we can find the best opportunity possible for the person that we are representing? Yep. The other side, though, is already having someone in mind for a particular gig that is available or a particular opportunity. So I guess when you're making decisions, do you find yourself more so trying to find the best possible opportunity for the person you're representing, even if it may not necessarily be the best fit for that person? We, we pitch, so we, I mean, we pitch all of our artists for the right gigs. Um, I think, you know, part of the reason why CA is successful in that is because we work on teams. So like, it's never just one person um, who represents one client. Everybody signs clients together, right? So like, you know, any one client in the music department might have two to four music agents, you know, who might touch a different genre, who might work in a different style of booking, whether it be festivals or privates. Um, and it's our job to to make sure everybody is pitched uh, and and advocated for when we go to our buyers. I think ultimately our buyers end up making this making the decisions about who works best for them, but. Uh, when we're talking to them, we're giving them every single pitch point and reason as to why every single option we've presented them is the best option for them, 
right? Like, again, like it, it's, uh, I, I hate, I hate, um, I hate putting myself in a position to tell somebody yes or no. I think at the end of the day, my job again is to, is, is to, is to make sure that everybody's being represented and advocated for in the best way. And then at the end of the day, I think buyers are the ones who are making the decisions, um, about yes and no. We have influence, obviously, and, and, and can persuade, but, um, you know, we're not making the final call. Thinking about artists themselves, one of the things CAA often does is they'll talk about how they landed artists before they got big, right? Like we had Maroon 5 before Maroon 5 became as big as they were. And, you know, that was (laughs) a different era. That was in the early 2000s. But it makes me think about when is the best time for an artist to land an agent, especially now in the SoundCloud era where it's easier than ever to distribute music, it's easier to go DIY, etc. Like, at what point is it ideal, you would say, for someone to be like, yes, I now need a CAA agent to represent me? No, that's, that's a great question. And I think the common misconception about CAA is that it's such a big agency that people get lost in the shuffle we don't care about music um but i think that could be that's like nothing could be further from the truth um if i think about all of the artists that we've picked up before they even dropped their first album um an artist that ca is breaking um it's kind of insane to think about how you know such a large agency is is cultivate is cultivating from the ground up but also um you know working with arena level stadium level acts you know if we're talking about acts that are breaking right now it's you know artists that we've signed for the first album it's you know it's cardi b it's dua lipa it's smino it's lil tecca it's you know it's it's i could go on and on and on um but uh it's kind of it's kind of insane uh to answer your question directly though I, i think it's a couple of things like i love when an artist has um some sort of traction already right whether it be lots of streams whether it be they're worth 500 tickets in their hometown. Um, you know, I think that's the first thing I look at, apart from whether or not the music is actually good, right? I think at the end of the day, we're in the music business and, and everything we do lives and dies by um, the records. So that's what I am sort of looking at first and, and judging first. Then it's like, okay, what sort of traction do you have? Sometimes the team around the act is, is, is important, right? Like who's the manager, who's the lawyer, who's the A&R, right? Like what are all of these other pieces that aren't necessarily directly related to the artist, but can honestly make or break your career, right? Like if, if you've got the wrong manager, like, you know, that, that can put a serious dent in, in the progress that you make. I think it's all about like, it's all about traction and connection records, partially, who is surrounding you and working with you on on a project. You were talking earlier about venue size. This is a topic that I've written about extensively in Trapital. I think there's roughly three buckets. You have your big mega stars, like your Taylor Swift's that are performing in stadiums. You have your artists that are headlining arena tours. And then you have your smaller artists that are in much smaller venues. I've always thought that there's a pretty big gap in venue size between a stadium and an arena. So when you have your artists that are bigger stars, how do you go about optimizing 
the supply and demand, knowing that an artist doesn't want to leave money on the table, but no one wants to have a bunch of empty seats in front of them either? Um, it's, It's a good question. I think there are different ideologies when it comes to booking. You know, I think on the one hand, there's a very conservative, um, I won't call it pop sort of approach to booking, but it's a very conservative approach to booking that says like, you know, um, we should hit all of the right venues at the right time and build our build up our hard ticket value. So that means, you know, every time you come through a market, pricing tickets appropriately so they're affordable to your fans. It means leaving some some people outside, meaning like, you know, if we know for a fact we can do 500, it means playing to 500 or less as opposed to trying to stretch through the six or 700 because those people who don't get in the first time around are the first people to buy the next time around. Um, and, you know, we're able to scale our, our, our business that way. You know, they say the people outside are, are, are the biggest, um, they're the biggest form of, of advertisement for the next show because they missed the first show. Um, so, you know, that style of booking says we go to clubs, we sell that out. Then we go to theaters and we sell that out, right? Like it's about, it's about training your fans to, to, to buy tickets when they go on sale at the on sale. And, um, it's about sort of hitting every rung on the ladder without skipping steps. Um, I think the other approach to booking sort of says like, you know, if the, if the demand is there, let's just, let's just go and take it and pick up the money while we can. Um, so, you know, I think, um, so I think in this day and age, right, I think people are a little bit more willing to move a little bit faster. You know, Juice World is an act who didn't really do the club circuit. He went straight into 1,000, 2,000 cap rooms on the first tour and frankly made a lot of money. Uh, but I, I don't think every agent would have toured him that way initially. I think I think some people would have been a little bit more conservative. So, um, you know, there are different things. Um, to take into account, at least on our end, when it comes to how we think about routing the tour, booking the tour. I think when we book shows with our promoter partners, um, there are larger conversations about how we're scaling ticket prices, um, whether or not we're going to be more aggressive in order not to leave money on the table, or if the goal here is to just um, sell out a bunch of shows to, to, to generate, um, hype and awareness, um, and, and to show a little bit more like forward momentum. Right. So, um, those are conversations that we have with the live nations and the AEGs and the C3s and other independent promoters of the world. Um, just in terms of like, how do we set our artists up, um, to make sure that they're not overstepping or that they're playing the right rooms, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that makes sense. It reminds me a lot of airlines they would much rather overbook a flight than have empty seats on the plane. And essentially becomes a capacity issue one way or another in terms of how do you optimize for efficiency. But this also, it makes me think of an opportunity that I've seen in sports. So in the NBA finals, we saw the Raptors and of course they had the seats to actually play in the arena. But then you saw how many fans were there outside of the Air Canada Center that were watching the game out in Jurassic Park. And at the new Chase Center that the Warriors are building, they're going to have a very similar setup. Fans would much rather want to be in the arena, but it gives them an opportunity to engage outside. And I feel like there's something there for concerts. Because if you're one of those people that missed a ticket to go see Drake – would you be willing to go outside the Chase Center when Drake comes to San Francisco and watch from the big screen? You most likely would. 
I'd be interested to see what that looks like from a music perspective, because I think there's opportunity there. Yeah, no, I think that's an interesting concept. I, 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 um, I wonder if anybody's tried it. I, I, you know, my, my guess is like with sports, it's almost less about the experience in front of you as much as it is bonding with the person to your left and to your right and, and cheering and, and, you know, sort of fraternizing where I think when you go to see a concert, you really are there to watch that act and, and to get a good view um, so I don't know. I think, I think for some acts it might work for some acts it might not work. I, I'm, you know, I could see a world wherein the right DJ could pull something like that off, but I, I wonder if, if a Drake, you know, or, or, a, or a Jay or, or, you know, Beyonce or Beyonce by any other name could, could do something like that. And you have to be as big as Drake or Beyonce or Jay-Z to even be in this discussion, because those are the type of people that do arena tours anyways. Exactly. You mentioned Live Nation earlier. They, of course, are a behemoth in this space. I'm interested to hear about what the dynamic is between CAA and them. When you are trying to find the best Mm -hmm. opportunity for an artist, do you feel like there is a fair amount of give and take? Do you feel like you're pretty aligned? What are some of the common friction points, if any, that you have with them? Uh, That's a tricky question. I mean, I think first and foremost, you know, there there are our partners in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I think that they, as a company are, are increasingly gaining leverage and market share. I mean, from a, from a booking standpoint, they definitely have, um, market share, I think above and beyond AEG. Um, you know, they're gobbling up a bunch of independent promoters. Uh, they're rolling everybody up, uh, which I think ultimately, hurts us as agents because in a lot of ways we end up sort of negotiating with the same company, right? So like, it's really hard to go out in the marketplace and ask for competitive offers if everybody is live nation, right? So um, obviously like, you know, in, in, in true capital discourse, like it's, it's a one, it's a one seller or it's a, it's a one buyer. It's, be, it's quickly becoming like a one buyer market, which is not the greatest. Um, I think, you know, where some friction occurs is when we talk about tour deals. Um, you know, I think that especially in hip hop and R&B, I think like, you know, the, the types of artists and managers that we work with are um, a little bit more entrepreneurial. So I think at times there are there are instances where um, artists will d- deal directly with those major promoters and lock in tour deals that sort of, you know, uh, give away their tour rides to Live Nation for a very long period of time before we're even able to step in there and and make the deal a little bit more favorable for the artist. So I think in terms of tension, um, that's something that we've run into in the past and, you know, um, uh, can can be a little bit tricky to navigate. So do you think that managers are more likely to jump into a deal, lock something down instead of building up the leverage to get something that's better for their artist? Uh, At times, for sure. And I assume that's something that will come with age and growth. Because when I think about young artists, their managers also happen to be young as well. And if they are less experienced, then they have less reference points and it's easy to get looped up into something. I mean, it's no different than signing a record label deal as a young artist, right? If yep. you sign away something that's unfavorable before you know it, you've given everything away and you're locked in for a very long term. 
Totally, man. I think people, I think people see a really large sum of money up front and, um, they want to go lock it in. I think, I think that, that, that is, that is what it is at the end of the day, right? Like, you know, our goal is to, is to, as agents is to, you know, put our clients in, in a really good financial position as well. So I understand where they're coming from, but, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, to your point, I, I think young managers and sometimes even more senior managers tend to, will will sometimes deal with them directly in a way that, you know, becomes tricky for us. Someone that's been very interesting to follow about this is Cardi B. I'm sure you saw when she posted her festival booking and concert bookings with the screenshot that's since been deleted on Instagram. And she brought up a fair point. She isn't doing a tour right now because she wants to build up leverage with these festivals so that she could go to AEG or go to Live Nation and get the deal that she wants. What did you think about that? Uh, yeah, that, 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 that definitely wasn't, um, yeah, we didn't see that one coming for sure. Um, you know, I, I think, that, I think that her situation is, um, you know, she's Cardi, like she, she's going to do what she wants. Um, you know, I, I can foresee a situation where she tours. Um, you know, I, it, it's, it's, I don't know. She's making a, a, a lot of money doing the festivals right now. So, you know, and she's got a family and a kid. So I can totally see her, her, her reasoning for not wanting to go out there. But I think a lot of people want to see her. So, you know, who, who knows? Yeah. Looking at what she's done in the U.S., it's only been the smaller market cities, but she's yep. literally been in every major festival in Europe. So she's definitely collecting the money. I mean, was was not expecting to see her post that. <laughs> <laughs> you now represent Sierra, Becky G, Freddie Gibbs, a wide range of artists who are at very different stages of their careers. So when you are representing them, what do you how do you best manage where they are in their careers and what may most line up with that strategy versus what you might want to optimize as their booking agent? I think it's very specific and case by case. Um, you know, it starts with a conversation with the team that represents them at, at the agency. And then it's a conversation with management. I think you sort of have to understand what everybody's goals are, right? Like, you know, before the year ends, probably in two months, I'm already going to be talking to artists about 2020. Um, and there are artists that we've already talked to about 2020. Um, because people are, are, are already booking, you know, the summertime and thinking about the fall, like now, right. Um, there are festivals that are booking now, right. So if I'm talking to certain artists and I know that a festival run is a really big part of our strategy next year, you know, we, we've got to think about how touring fits around that too. Um, so it, it's case by case. Um, you know, I think it, it starts with a conversation about, uh, new music releases, uh, what we see happening with the release, how long the cycle is going to be, uh, what our financial goals are. Are, are we looking to, to play to other um, territories across the world? Is it just domestic, right? Like who's touring at what time, what traffic we should be avoiding? Um, you know, lots, lots of things sort of factor into it. Are we packaging up, right? Like um, are there support? Are there other support acts that we'd like to take on the road with us? What's their availability like? You know, how can we price tickets and what sort of room should we be going into? Um, 
I think you have to really understand your client and that requires open communication with management and or the artist. And I think from there, you can sort of put together a plan that, that everybody is, is, uh, is comfortable with. But like truly, it's a dialogue and it's open communications, a lot of emails, a lot of calls with labels, a lot of calls with managers um, and, and promoters, frankly. It, it's fluid, but it's, it's, it's definitely not one size fits all. I think you sort of have to understand where a record is working, where it's not working. All those things sort of factor into it. I'm sure someone like Becky G must be different from the other artists that you represent. I've written about how Latino hip-hop artists tour much more often than American hip-hop artists do, and a lot of that has to do with the business model that they have. They stream much more heavily on YouTube and Spotify's free tier and other free services, and with that, the payouts are much less, so the artists then tour a couple hundred times a year just to compensate for that. That must be night and day compared to someone like Sierra, who has a number of other business interests going on and is likely much more selective in terms of what she's willing to do and what she isn't. For sure. Right. I think, you know, I think somebody like Becky, we're still waiting for her to do the domestic run. Right. Like, you know, I think I think with her, you've got to be a little bit more proactive and aggressive about the looks that you're going after. Um, there's definitely a lot more conversation with buyers. Whereas I think Sierra, it's about um, it's about high impact moment. It's like, which festivals can we go and headline? Um, maybe it's like, you know, private events. Um, there are a lot of things that, that we can do. Um, but I think for her, it's just about sort of making sure that each moment is high impact if if we're not going to be slogging it out on the road. You know what I mean? You want everything to feel really big and deserving of, of this type of act that she is. The high impact opportunities make a ton of sense for Sierra. I look at her and Russell Wilson as a branded package now. They've definitely been putting themselves out into the media and even some of the investments that they've started to do together And I know that Sierra recently took that course at Harvard Business School. So there could be a number of areas that she could focus on next. Yeah. I mean, she's got um, the whole, the support of the entire building behind her um, from the top down. uh, And and every department is, is constantly closing stuff from her for her. Um, There's stuff that there are deals that have closed that won't hit the public knowledge until 2020, Um, you know, across her, 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 um, her business. So it's, it's an exciting time for her. I think both of them are, are in a really good position, um, to sort of grow their business. Um, you know, I think even to your, to your, to your point about, and, and the conversation we had earlier about athletes, right? Like, you know, I, I think Russell is somebody, uh, who is going to benefit greatly from the building as well. So like, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a good time for both of them. Right. And it's good timing for Russell Wilson, too, because a number of NFL stars have went through that same Harvard Business School program that Sierra did. And in many ways, when you go through a program like that, it does make you more attractive to a agency like CAA, because if you're no longer interested in just sports, you are clearly furthering your education to pursue all these other type of business ownership opportunities, that's most likely going to increase the likelihood that you will need to partner with someone else within the CAA universe on a deal. 
Oh yeah, I mean, I think I think the agency thrives um, off of clients who are multi-hyphenates. Like I think at the end of the day, we want all of our artists to be that, uh, or, or be able to help them become that if that's their desire. But you know, I think ultimately that was that was why the agent that is why the agency is the way it is. Like I think there are so many different synergies across entertainment, and it's so fluid these days. Um, that I think the more things you're, you're in, uh, the better, the better our value proposition makes, you know, uh, the, the better our value proposition is for that, for that type of talent. And similarly, now everyone is doing these docu-series or these documentaries. We had the Meek Mill one on Amazon. You have the yep. Travis Scott one on yep. Netflix. So folks are truly starting to broaden their wings in this space. Switching gears now. I look at an agent like Rich Paul. He was someone who was working at CAA for a while, left to go start his own agency. And from an objective perspective, he's definitely made his presence known mm-hmm. in a number of ways. Mm-hmm. And you know, he's recently been able to work with UTA to be able to expand his efforts. But what are your thoughts on that? Because I know there's other examples too of agents that left the big group, left to go start their own thing. Do you think that they often get what they desire or do you think there's still something that is missing when they choose to leave the large corporation? It's an interesting question. Um, it's something I've actually thought a lot about. Uh, I just feel like we're, we're in this time right now where there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, corporate, like big corporate money in the agency world, right? Which is sort of fueling a lot of really rapid growth. So I can understand why people um, jump and and try to do things independently. I think for Rich, when he came into the agency, um, you know, I think his goal was to sort of learn the ropes and to see how everything operated and to sort of cut his teeth there. I think at the end of the day, as an agent, we are defined by the talent we're attached to. Um, I don't think it's about us at all. I think it's like, you know, it's about who you represent, who, you know, what relationships you have and how you can sort of help somebody grow their business. So I think with somebody like Rich, when you leave a CAA, but you leave with LeBron, um, he's the sort of client where I, I won't say that all of the calls are incoming, but there's not very many people who won't return your call. So I, I don't think that he's in the same position as a lot of other people that leave and try to strike on their own. Um, with that said, I think for my space in particular, right, with that being touring, um, it's a growing, it's a growing space, uh, in the industry, in, in, in the booking, in, in the worlds of of, uh, of booking. So I think there's a lot of, or a lot of talent to go out and work with and shit reacts so fast. Like juice world literally blew up overnight. Uh, post Malone blew up pretty quickly as well. Right. So like if you're an independent agent and you're able to grab one or two acts, like it changes the trajectory of your entire career. I think people sort of start to take you in a different light. Um, and I think a lot of the bigger agencies, if they're not trying to squash you or trying to figure out ways to work with you and bring you in house, it's interesting. I think it's a really, it's an interesting time to try to strike out and do it on your own. Yeah. Another person that fits in this bucket is Rich Kleiman. He did his thing at Rock Nation, landed Kevin Durant, and moved on to go do his own thing. And of course, it's much easier to do your own thing when you got Kevin Durant. 
hundred percent. I think everybody's goal at the end of the day is to find that one big client um, that that sort of changes the trajectory of their career. I think I think the opportunities become. Um, a lot they expand a lot more when you can call uh and say that you represent that person uh and and i think you know their business is probably enough to 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 uh to float your entire uh lifestyle right like i think when you're not giving the 10 percent to uh to a larger entity and you're keeping it all for yourself the economics work out a little bit differently they definitely do before we wrap up Got a few lightning round questions for you. First, what was your first reaction when you first heard about the NCAA's Rich Paul rule? <laughs> uh, you know what's funny is I'm not I'm not big on sports, but I, I knew enough to know what it meant. Uh, it's funny, man. I, I just thought it was it's one of those things that the that the that rule reminds me of like it's one of those things that people do to just like make it a little bit harder for for a certain kind of person um even though uh they won't come out and say what it is right like to me that was such a arbitrary rule that i sort of laughed at it right uh not even realizing that it was targeting rich specifically but understanding the the ramifications of what it meant to people of color or minorities or people who didn't have access to secondary education i think at the end of the day like i've said earlier this whole thing is about who you represent and being able to connect to talent um if you can do that uh, I think you can learn. You can learn this business. I don't think it requires a college degree. So I, I laughed. Uh, the, the rule. The rule. The rule made me laugh. Right. Same here. And I think what people miss is that folks like you and I, both educated and in positions that, yep. unfortunately, most people that look like us in this country are not in, can still identify what's wrong about this rule and acknowledge that you don't necessarily need to have a degree in order to be in this rule, be in this position. And what does it mean to be? Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Next question for you. What is one misconception that people often have about your job as an agent? Oh, hmm, interesting. The most biggest, mis- the biggest misconception about our job, about my job. Hmm. I, I, don't, I don't know. I think, I think as a, as a, company or, or maybe as agents, I think people take us to be soulless in some ways. Um, I think, I think um, a lot of us are music fans first, which is the reason why we got into this. And we care a lot about our artists as much as, you know, for us, it's about money and it's about uh, figuring out ways to get our clients paid. Uh, I think that, I think people sort of take us for a, uh, I think they assume that we're not as big as fans of the music as, as we actually are, or, 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 you know, friends with, with our talent. Like it's, it's, uh, maybe, maybe that's what I would say. It's interesting with careers like yours, because I think that people will often think about what can they remember from folks in media. So if you're a sports agent, first person that may come to mind is Jerry Maguire, or yeah. if it's an entertainment agent, you may think about Ari Gold from exactly. Entourage. And sure, there's some truth to that, but those are often a bit dramatized. Yeah, see, I'm, you, you get it. <laughs> Although I will say with Jerry Maguire, there is some connection with what you're saying earlier with the big superstar client that he has, the Cuba Gooding Jr. football player, and how much easier it is for him to go off yeah. on his own because he has that client. 100%. Next question. Is there any artist out there you would love to be able to work with? 
So is there someone specifically, you see what they're doing from a booking perspective and you think, oh, it could be great to tweak that or optimize that. Does anyone mm. come to mind? Uh, I can't say that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a tricky one. I mean, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to be working with the clients that I'm working with now. I'm blessed that people trust me to, 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 to enough to bring me in on the clients they're working with that, you know, managers value my opinion. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there, there's, there's a bunch, I think, I think it's, it's, uh, the talent out there is endless these days, right? Like one person pops and goes away and then somebody else comes right back behind them. Um, so there's, there's, there's a lot, you know, I, I think for me, I'm fortunate with, uh, with the acts I've got right now and I'm, you know, just focused on, on building those guys, but, and there's definitely people out there that I'd love to work with. Um, but you know, can't say that. You can't put anybody <laughs> on blast. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> no, that's fair. I figured that's what you're going to say, but I had to ask anyway. <laughs> there. Are there any other type of challenges that you often face as an agent? I know this conversation is a bit more focused to more of the business model and the mechanics, but is there anything from an interpersonal side or any of that that we haven't talked about that would be good to bring folks under the hood for? I think the biggest challenge is just sort of balancing everything. It's like, how do you maintain a healthy um, personal life? How do you communicate with your managers and artists uh, in a way that makes them feel um, supported? How do you go to all of the shows? How do you cover all the festivals? How do you talk to all the buyers? Um, you know what I mean? How do you, how do you, um, it's, it's, it's a number of things. I think it's like, you know, it's, it's the hardest part I would say is balancing it all. Um, because I think a good agent is more than just being able to book. I think anybody can, can book. Uh, although I do think there is, there can be a strategy and an art to it. I think a lot of the other, um, trials, come from outside of just the booking it's like are you are you connecting with enough people a week you know are, are you are you um are you out are you are you talking to people you know what i mean uh, i think all of those things um sort of factor into being a good agent and you know i think outside of that you want to make sure that you're a good whatever it is to um the people in your personal life, whether it be uh, a friend or a brother or, you know, or a boyfriend or whatever. Um, I think there are a lot of things that um, uh, you've got to sort of factor in. So I would add that. To, I, I would just think that that's probably the hardest part. Right. It truly is a convergence of the art and the science. I mean, anyone can look at the demand and optimize what needs to be done there. But in order for you to truly be successful, it's understanding how best to use that with the connections that you have and being able to build that in a way that will lead to long relationships that can ultimately mm -hmm. be fruitful down the road. Before we let you go, is there anything that you'd like to plug or anything that you think the Trapital audience should know about? Um, no, I'm, I'm just a big fan of the platform. I think that the way you approach the industry is, is really important. And I, I feel like it's important for people to understand that there's a business behind this thing. Uh, and I think the audience that you talk to should, should know that whether they be artists or young entrepreneurs. Um, I think there's going to come a point very soon and it's probably upon us right now where, um, 
I mean, this culture generates a lot of money for a lot of people. Um, so it's great to, to, to know that somebody is sort of peeling back um, the layers and, and looking under the hood and sort of having an open dialogue about where the money is flowing or even tossing around new ideas that people like uh, myself haven't really considered. So I'm appreciative for this platform for that. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you, you invited me on. Uh, it's funny, like we said earlier before we started recording, I almost didn't even do it. Uh, I actually hate the spotlight and I, I do think that this is about, um, it's about talent and creatives first and foremost. So, you know, I, I would just say for anybody out there, um, keep pushing, uh, and you know, I think a lot of people that, that make it, um, are the people that manage to persevere, even on the agency side. It's like, you know, how long can you tough it out and, and, and sort of fight through and, and continue to, to like reinvent yourself and push yourself. So, um, that's, that's, that's what I would say. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I mean, this conversation was great and it's been great to connect with you as well. I mean, I think it's been over a year now that we had first yep. been uh, connected and chopped it up. But yeah, I still owe you a t-shirt, by the way. So I need to go get that over. Oh, here. yeah, please. You've got my address. Send it. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll do. We'll do. Akina Lou, it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks, man. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go tell at least one friend about this podcast. Word of mouth is still the best way to grow. If you use Apple Podcasts, please go rate and review. That helps continue to boost Trapital Podcast in the rankings. And also, please go to the Trapital.co website. That's T-R-A-P-I-T-A-L dot C-O. There is a ton of great content there. So please check out the articles, sign up for the newsletter, and I'll see you all next time.